Welcome to The Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello and welcome to the Alchemy of Business show. We are helping people find ways to make wiser decisions, create more abundance and prosperity in their life and business, and focused on higher purpose. So the people that I speak to weekly with men and women who are focused on these things themselves help bring awareness to their own lives and how they've uh, traveled this path, but also how we can learn from them on how we can incorporate their wisdom into our own lives. And I'm very thrilled today to have a a very impressive, wonderful, big-hearted man on the show. Uh, His name is Dr. Srikumar Rao. And he is the best-selling author and known as the happiness guru. Now, how many of us would love to have a title of the happiness guru? Uh, I know I love that. And he is an expert in personal development. Not only has he been really deep in study in personal development, but he's very strong in ac- the academic world. Uh, he had a program that he was teaching in uh, called Personal Mastery, which was associated with Columbia University. And he is also the former executive for Warner Communications and McGraw, where he infuses his experience into corporate, the corporate world, with respect to also to spiritual understanding and philosophies and in transformation in business and with his students in management. He does this internationally with all different types of people, businesses, and education systems. Dr. Rao has authored two books, Are You Ready to Succeed? and Happiness at Work, as well as an audio course, The Personal Mastery Program all of which have been bestsellers and have rave reviews. He has also received wide media coverage, and he's very acclaimed, including his features in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, London Times, the Independent, Time Financial News, and many others. He's also noted in the Thinker's 50 interviews, and Dr. Rao has been contributing editor to Forbes, and he's also a featured author in many other publications. So if you Google this gentleman, he will pop up all over the world. So uh, I am thrilled to have you here, Dr. Rao. So thank you so much for being on the show. And I appreciate you being here. My pleasure, Steve. In fact, I was about to say it's my privilege and honor to be on your show. Well, thank you. Well, we had uh, uh, gotten conne- we had been able to get connected by our mutual friend um, Marshall Goldsmith, and we're both in the 100 Coaches Group. And you were able to recently attend an event that I was not able to attend, although had all good intentions to. And somehow the universe was whispering in your ear uh, to have somebody and you uh, mentioned my name and we were and you were kind enough to reach out. And I was so enamored by our conversation we had recently that I said, Dr. Rao, you've please got to be on my show. And you graciously said yes. And so since we're such kindred spirits on talking about spirituality and business and the workplace, uh, this should be a very interesting conversation today. So let's talk about this this world that you have come to create for yourself. You have picked out a niche here um, in in something that not many people are doing, either brave enough, bold enough, or wise enough, I'm not sure which, uh, to be able to be in that space that you're in. But you had this academic path that I want to learn more about on how that path was for you. But when you came to an awareness yourself of being able to use your skills, your background, your education, and all the things you'd learned along the way, at some point you had this pivotal path. Um, So how, Dr. Rao, do you become the person who gets the happiness guru title? So give me the big picture and then we'll drill down from there. Uh, I've talked about happiness a great deal. And uh, I actually have a TED Talk on happiness, which has been viewed more than a million times on the TED platform and more than a million times on YouTube and various other platforms and so on. So someone somewhere said he's the happiness guru and the name stuck. (laughs) So I do talk a lot about happiness because I think most of us are mistaken in our views on what it needs to be what it takes for us to be happy. And this is a a fairly grievous error. And I constantly point it out in my public talks, in my courses. And after people listen to it, they say, yes, you know, what you say makes sense. Now, how do I go about implementing it? And a good deal of the work I do is based on that. So the name just continues to stick. 
It's memorable. The happiness. It's very memorable. And such a great, that's one of the best titles I've seen. <laughs> whether it's sell, you know, whether someone uh, coined that and then you decided, hey, I love this. Uh, I'm going to wear this badge proudly as I would as well, um, because you're you're very noted. And I know you've got a lot of circles. So the titles you could put under yourself with your designations and your uh, things you uh, on, on the world of your education, your academic, and also different business dealings you had. But the happiness grew at the top of the list. Sounds like a good one by me. Uh, yes. And this, you know, this quote that we have up here for you, that there is no destination uh, and the journey is all that there is, and it can be very, very joyful. So let's talk about a minute. What's your definition of the differences or similarities between happiness and joyful? Um, do you describe those differently? Uh, actually, yes. Happiness is something that we talk about in a very trivial fashion in uh, Western society. We talk about things, you know, we I had a, a wonderful desert after a great meal and I'm happy. I saw this wonderful movie and I'm happy. And happiness is something that we think we can acquire. And in my book, happiness is not something that you can acquire. Happiness is something that has to evolve from within. Mm. Joy is what I'm really encouraging people to pursue. And by joy, what I mean is a very deep feeling of well-being, a feeling that, yes, I'm okay, the world is okay, and I have always been okay. And that deep feeling of well-being never leaves you. That is the vision that I lay out for uh, persons who are my coaching clients or persons who take my program. Do you wake up in the morning and your blood is singing just at the thought of being who you are and do what you're doing, what you do? Can you fall to your knees in involuntary gratitude at the tremendous good fortune that has been bestowed on you? Do you come radiantly alive? And in my book, that is what life is about. That is where everyone should be. That is where everyone can be. And how you get there is a big chunk of the work that I do. And I guess it goes along with the happiness guru moniker. It does. Well, th this, this, I love this conversation and I love that this purpose that you're talking about, I think is the highest level that all humans are focused on getting to and don't always know it. So having this, uh, this, un this unknown either definition or even expectation of happiness, where in your path, because um, I know you have this really view of the Eastern kind of philosophies and religions and the Western world, you, you're very well versed in both. At a young age in your culture or your country or your family, was this something that was incorporated that resonated with you and you expanded upon? Or is it something that because of merging those somehow, you came to that later in life at your own your own understanding versus your family background bringing that to you? Actually, it's both, Steve, because a lot of the concepts that I now propagate were part of my cultural background, so I absorbed it by osmosis. But having absorbed it by osmosis, I was very busy rebelling against that because they didn't seem to make any kind of sense at all. And I came to America and, uh, you know, was uh, desperately on the treadmill of going, achieving, and so on. And I was incredibly successful. Uh, I got burnt out by corporate politics. So I went into the university environment thinking, in academia, everybody is imbued with a quest for pure knowledge and politics does not exist. I was sadly mistaken. Oh, no. <laughs> so by the time I found out, I was firmly in, uh, in the academe. And then I got burnt out, really. You know, I was making cost of living increases, and I didn't particularly like what I was doing. And they said, gee, something went wrong somewhere. All my life, I'd been doing a lot of reading, spiritual biography, mystical autobiography. This is where my cultural thing comes in. And uh, uh, I was drawn to it but they didn't help me. And I decided that if all of this was good, only if you're sitting quietly thinking peaceful thoughts, but not really came to the hurly burly, then it's useless. Mm -hmm. But somehow I knew that wasn't true. I knew it was very valuable. I just hadn't figured out how to make use of it. Mm -hmm. So one day I got my bright idea. Why don't I create a course which takes the teachings of the world's greatest masters, 
strips them of religious, cultural, other connotations, and adapts them so that they're acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society. And the thought of doing that made me come alive. So I created that course. It did well. I moved it to Columbia Business School in 1999. It exploded. It was the only course at Columbia, which is a university-wide draw. So I had students from all over, law school, business school, school of international public affairs, journalism, teachers college, you name it. And then Columbia is a major business school. Students from other schools came on exchange and they took the course and went back and said, oh, you really got to have that course. So it traveled. I taught at London Business School, at Berkeley, at Kellogg, at Imperial College. And then I spun it out and started teaching it privately in New York, London, and San Francisco. So that's how my journey evolved. And when a Columbia, when you first brought this idea to Columbia, were you already teaching something there and you already had an in, or did you bring this to them cold? And what was their initial reception of, oh yes, that's for us, or did they have did they have to digest it for a while? Because that's not the usual topic. No, it, it went very smoothly. And for that, I think I have to uh, thank the universe. I was teaching marketing courses at Columbia. And okay. since my PhD, my own PhD is from Columbia, I knew most of the marketing faculty. So when I presented it to the then chairman of the marketing department, he said, fine, let's try it out and see how it goes. And it, it just worked out very well. And the energy of the universe just flowed. And as Paul says, the universe. universe conspired toward your success because you were letting Mother Nature and universe speak. Mm -hmm. Now, on the origin of this idea, when you were saying you were from another country, let us know where you were originally born and what your culture was. And when you had to define what your family uh, unit was were either brought up in spirituality or a religious practice or background. Give us a little early foundation, and then I oh, want to okay. find out where you've evolved to. I was born in Bombay, now Mumbai, and uh, I had my early education all over North India because my father was at the government service, so we traveled quite a bit, but I had my early education in uh, Delhi, Calcutta, Rangoon, in Burma, uh, Ahmedabad. And uh, I grew up a Hindu, so I knew all of these concepts uh, uh, by osmosis. That's part of the culture I grew up in. Rejected all of that. And when I came to Colombia, actually, I met a Western figure to whom I'm enormously grateful. This is one of the great teachers uh, who came out from the uh, hippie era of the 60s. And I am sure most of your listeners would be familiar with him. Uh, he's uh, named Ram Das. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. Ram Das, sure. And Ram Das was uh, actually in an apartment in Riverside Drive, and I was in Columbia University, and we met many frequently. We had many one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I'm very grateful to him because he literally gave my own culture back to me. Oh, wow. Started... Gave, that's a great quote. He gave my own culture back to me. How did he do that? How did Tell, tell us how he, he did that for you. Stuff and he said, hey, hold it. You know, I, I, I've come across that before. And he said, of course you have. And, you know, he'd gone to India and he learned all that from Neem Karoli Baba. But his way of expressing it was uh, particularly trenchant. It just made an impact. And uh, then I realized that not only does it have an impact on me, but it'll have an impact on any human being, because he talks about the human predicament. But Ramdas inculcated in me the ability to not just see it as a philosophical concept, but here's how it applies in your life. Mm -hmm. And with the wisdom of hindsight, as Steve Jobs says, you can only connect the dots looking Going back. You can't yes. connect it looking forward. Right. I now see that I can connect the dots. So now when I say something, uh, you know, it carries conviction because people can relate it to what they do and how, you know, it'll help them become not only better at what they do, but take them to a better place from which they can do what they do. I see. That's amazing. Magic. That's how I came to my unique niche in coaching. Well, Ram Das has definitely helped bring a lot of that awareness over the years and his videos, his writings, his workshops. How did you see Ram Das similar or different than maybe the rest of the public world did in his persona of who he was versus a man and a spiritual comrade of yours? Uh, he was a spiritual comrade for sure, but I just saw him as a person who had, because of his, what we would call samskaras, his past, you know, in this life, maybe many lives before that, uh, he did undergo a fair degree of suffering. And uh, he was very, very good 
in terms of the perspective that he got from his suffering and how he was able to transmute all of that into a higher spiritual uh, evolution. All of life is a lesson to be learned. And in fact, one of his books, it's called Grist for the Mill, expresses that perfectly. Anything that happens for you to you is grist for the mill. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, and you took all of that. And some of the things I know when you said, how does this apply to the person? How does it apply to their life? How does this really relate? And you took that into your workplace. And I know you talk with a, a lot of your education, your workshop and coaching around stress good stress, bad stress, stress management, and how to have good balance in with that. Do these principles have instrumental key uh, levers or triggers, if you would, that help in that arena as well in e each person's life? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I have got a particular webinar and a course on how to eradicate stress from your life and become extremely resilient. And I'm talking, Steve, about eradicating stress. I'm not talking about lessening it greatly. I'm not talking about improving your ability to manage stress. I'm talking about having stress leave your life completely forever. And I'm also talking about extreme resilience. Resilience, of course, is our ability to bounce back from adversity, and that's nice. By extreme resilience, what I mean is you bounce back so quickly that an external observer might not even know that you have suffered an adverse event. Mm, mm -hmm. And is that possible? Absolutely, it is possible. Well, eradicating stress, that's a pretty dynamic statement. And I love the intrigue of, okay, tell me more. And I get we're not having time to jump into your course today. So give us a little teaser or a little nugget of how you would take the first baby step uh, of stepping into the consciousness of even be able to realize you have the power to eradicate stress. The first baby step, and in fact, I just conducted a workshop in uh, Tucson, Arizona. I just came back two days ago from that, and it was incredible how uh, well-received it was and how people understood immediately, this is the solution I've been looking for all my life. I asked thousands of people on six continents, do you have stress in your life? And most of them say they're more stressed in their life now than ever before. Mm, of yeah. course, I ask them, why do you have stress? And they come up with a bunch of reasons, dozens of reasons. I boil them down into a few major categories. And most people would say there's stress in my life because of one or more of these. I have financial pressures of one kind or the other. I have relationship issues with partner, spouse, but could also be with boss, siblings, relatives, in-laws. I have career issues. I have children issues. I have uh, health issues. And that's the reason I have stress in my life. Actually, all of that is wrong, Steve. There is only one reason you have stress in your life. And this is so important that I'm going to pause and let you think about it. The only reason you have stress in your life is because you have a rigid idea of this is how the universe should unfold. This is how my life should unfold in the universe. And the universe goes its merry way and pays no regard whatsoever to what you would like. All of those folks in Florida who are being out of their homes, they're very, very, very rigidly holding on to the view. There should be no storm here. My house should be safe. And Ian happens, Hurricane Ian happens. So the universe does not pay attention to what you want it to happen, or you want to have happen. It goes its own merry way, and you resist it, and you resent it. And in that resistance and resentment, you create the stress in your life. And that's the only reason you have stress in your life. That's powerful. That's powerful. So the, the the understanding of the relationship with how we see the universe and that we believe so rigidly that there's only one way to the path of accomplishing that problem or solution or creating success. We're so rigidly tied to that, that our stress is that space in between where we're at and where we think the universe has a place for us in between all that is stress versus as the Tao talks about being strong like steel and soft like water, yes. you know, allowing things just to flow. Um, and I'm doing a lot more study and reading on, on the Tao and the Tao principles. And it's it, it fl flows right in harmoniously to what you're talking about. 
And when we change our relationship, it sounds from what you're sharing with us, when we change our consciousness and we change our relationship to how we interact, the operating system of the universe, and yes. it's not so rigid, we allow ourselves the possibility for more happiness and much less stress and eventually eradicating stress. Is that, is that's, that that's true and possible, that, right? That is exactly correct. That's powerful. Well, we I, I accept what is. All our problems are because of our endless resistance to what is. But if you accept what is, and by the way, this is profound ramifications because a lot of people push back. What do you mean accept what is? Don't we know that all of the great progress has been made by people who don't accept the situation, that we have a vaccine for polio because Jonas Salk did not accept polio? And all of the inventions we have came from people who didn't accept. That's an incorrect understanding. Accepting something doesn't mean you lie back supinely and do nothing. Accepting something simply means you acknowledge this is the way things are. Mm -hmm. But I have a vision of this is how things should be. And I'm going to work my darndest to achieve that vision. I may succeed. I may not succeed. It doesn't matter. I do it because that is my path in life, but it does, whether or not I succeed, does not affect my equanimity. It doesn't take me to dark places. I do it not to accomplish something, but because that is my path in life. Yes, that, 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 that life so is so powerful. That consciousness is so powerful. And it, when I'm in that space, and I'm there often, not, but not near often enough. There is such more peace and tranquility in that space of doing what you just said. And my goal as a human and a spiritualist is to find ways to flow in what you're talking about even more. Because I've seen, I've had taste of that. Yes. Uh, and I know that it exists. So we only have about one or two minutes left here. But I'm curious uh, on this topic way deep. We could go on hours on this. But with you also studying personal development and you also studying your own goals of climbing the ladder academic or in corporate America and having these uh, these goals that, that get set and then we want to achieve them. And when you say the universe uh, doesn't care what you want to happen, how do we, uh, when we are, when we as a society or we as people or myself, when we're so tied to the goal and doing the stuff that it takes and, you know, the, the personal development, uh, achieving and doing, how do we do that? And also tie to realizing that if the universe doesn't really care what I want to have happen, then how am I also co-conspiring with the universe at the same time? The two parts to that, Steve, and we should explore both of that in the next segment. Number one is what Einstein said. The most important question you'll ever ask yourself is, is the universe friendly? That has tremendous implications. And the second is, you do want to change the universe. All my clients want to change the universe. You have to invest in the process. You do not invest in the outcome. Now, that is both a philosophical uh, principle as well as an utterly practical way to live your life. And I'll explain both of those in detail. Yeah, that is a great hook if I ever heard one. So for those of you that are listening in here with Dr. Rao, he's saying, come back and hear about, is the universe friendly? Question mark. That's one of the points to tap into. And invest in the process. You do not invest in the outcome. So... We're going to come back from the break and hear more with Dr. Rao on how do we actually do that once we get that consciousness and like, okay, I've got those questions. What are the answers? And then how do I stay tuned in to the flow of that? So come back here on the Alchemy of Business Show. We're going to talk more about you learning about how the universe actually works. Thanks for listening in and we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business show. We are having a very deep, intense, and powerful conversation today with Dr. Rao, who I introduced earlier. He's a, a serial entrepreneur in many ways, but he's been in the academic world. He's an author, he's an executive coach, and he has immense specialty in taking spirituality and incorporating it into ways in your everyday life from the workplace and your personal life. When we left off on the last segment, we were bringing up this, these concepts of how do you co-create with the universe 
and also manifest the life that you want on this planet and also realizing at the same time that the universe doesn't always care uh, what you want uh, because there's different principles that have to apply. So Dr. Rao was saying that first we have to uh, uh, understand if we agree with Einstein that there is the universe friendly or not friendly. And then a second question we were going to dig into is realizing the consciousness of investing in the process and you do not invest in the outcome. So as great Westerners that we are always looking at the end of the road, faster, faster, more and more, I'm afraid I've been guilty of uh, investing in the outcome in previous things myself. So uh, Dr. Rao, can you explain those items further for us? Absolutely, I can, Steve. Let's do it one at a time. Let's begin with the first question, is the universe friendly? This was actually a question posed by Albert Einstein. Now, we revere Albert Einstein because he was a great scientist, and he was. But he was also a philosopher who had a pretty intimate understanding of how the universe worked. And what Einstein said is the most important question you will ever ask yourself is, is the universe friendly? You, not your Uncle Joe, not your Aunt Jenny, you know, you. Now, most of us believe that the universe is neither friendly nor unfriendly. It just exists. It doesn't know about you, is unaware of your existence, and indifferent to your existence. So as you live your life, it seems so some of the time the universe is working with you. Some of the times it's working to frustrate you. But essentially, it's a random process. The universe neither cares about you, uh, does not care about you, and neither frustrates nor enables you. It, it just happens. And if you want something, you've got to go out and get it yourself because, boy, the universe is just a bystander. What if that wasn't true? What if the universe was aware of your existence? And what if the universe was well disposed towards you? Now, friends don't shaft friends, do they, Steve? Of course not. So the universe was aware of you and the universe was friendly. Why does the universe give you stuff you don't want? Like you want to travel and have a vacation and the universe gives you pandemics and lockdowns. Why? And the short answer to that is maybe the universe doesn't give you what you want but it gives you exactly what you need for your learning and growth. It's like you're a small child and you want a tub of ice cream and your parents give you fruits and vegetables. And you don't want fruits and vegetables, you want a tub of ice cream. But the universe through your parents gives you fruit and vegetables. And it isn't until you have a different level of maturity and understanding that you can say, thank God I got fruits and vegetables rather than a tub of ice cream. What if the universe was like that? It doesn't give you what you want, but it gives you exactly what you need for your learning and growth. Mm -hmm. So you got stuff and you say, I don't want this stuff. This is not what I signed up for. But that stuff is exactly what you need to break through your internal barriers and to grow. Doesn't take a rocket scientist, uh, Steve, to figure out that regardless of whether or not the universe was friendly, if you believed the universe was friendly, your experience of life would be immeasurably better. Yes. You wouldn't be railing against all the unfair things that happened to you. You'd be looking to say, hey, what's the lesson here that I got to learn? Let me learn it fast so I can move on. So regardless of whether the universe is friendly or not, if you believe the universe is friendly, your experience of life would be immeasurably better. That's what Einstein meant when he said the most important question you will ever ask yourself is, is the universe friendly? But go further. What if the universe actually was friendly? When you can get anchored in that, magic happens in your life, Steve. A powerful and agreed. Very, I very, very that. powerful. I love that. And then in that process, okay, people connect to that. They believe it. They're there. They realize and understand not only do they believe that the universe is friendly and they start experiencing it, then how do they further detach 
from being attached to the outcome of still having desires for a happy, fulfilling life and they still have visions around it, but still be tied into the process? For the simple reason, Steve, one of the things that you have to come to terms with is that there is nothing under your control. You are a control freak. I am a control freak. Virtually everybody who's going to be listening to this is a control freak, <laughs> which comes as a surprise because you probably think of yourself as me. Of course not. I'm a nice, easygoing guy. I'm not a control freak, but you are. Yes. Your whole life has been nothing but an attempt to control some part of your internal or external environment. You're a coach. Why are you a coach? Well, you're a coach because uh, you feel that you have an ability to help people and you like helping people and it gives you a decent income which you use to make a living and uh, you want to do more of that because you think that you're a better coach and not getting the acknowledgement you perhaps should get. It's an attempt to control some part of your internal external environment. Everything you do. Now, one of the things I'd like you to think about, Steve, is you don't have control. You never had control. You never will have control. The only thing you have is the illusion of control. Right, right. True. Because whenever you succeed, and some people try to gainsay me by saying, oh, Dr. Rao, you're going too far. You know, that's over the top. Maybe I don't have control, but I have partial control or I have influence that's like saying she's a little bit pregnant <laughs> if it makes you more comfortable by all means use it but the reality is you don't have control and every time you try to achieve something and you succeed it's because you were very fortunate that any of a number of things that could have happened to derail you did not happen yes yes and the beauty about the pandemic is it's taught you at a very visceral level that you do not have control Yes. Even when you say, okay, I accept I don't have control, you talk about it superficially. You like you talk about it in contexts like my marriage is on the rocks, I don't know if it'll survive, I don't have control. My kid applied to Harvard, but his grade point average isn't that high. I don't know if it'll make it, he'll make it, I don't have control. But even as you're saying I don't have control, Deep down, you're living or you think you're living in a world where things are predictable and you do have control. Like if you run out of toilet paper, you'll go to the supermarket and pick up a roll. If you have no food in the house, you'll go to a restaurant and order something off the menu. As a result of the pandemic, even those things were called into question. So you realize at a very deep visceral level that you don't have control. And many people found it incredibly fearful and stressful yes that's why i say the pandemic was really a great gift yeah it was a great equalizer i agree with you on that i think it was you know and and i uh learned long ago that i did fall into that category of believe that the universe was friendly and also believe that the universe was conspiring towards my success because i believed that it was friendly and i also believe that the universe has a sense of humor so <laughs> when i did start getting this illusion like we have control like we all have had and i still have that's when the universe has this sense of humor and says, oh, let me give you a brick upside the head. Let me have you get a back problem. Let me have you have a financial issue. Let me have you get in a car accident. Let me have you, for everyone, have a global pandemic if you think you've got that yeah. much control. It's like a little, I can almost feel like this universal big smile somewhere throughout all the stuff. Absolutely. The sense of humor is wonderful. <laughs> you put it beautifully, Steve. I could have done it any better. That's right. The universe is a tremendous sense of humor. And what you need is the ability to laugh along with it. Yes, agree. And you laugh at your own predicament and say, no, no, I think here's what I have. When you laugh at it, you'll find that all the strain goes off. Because here's how most people live the life. I set a goal for myself. I worked very hard. I achieved it. Life's a blast. I set a goal for myself. I tried very hard to achieve it. I failed. Life sucks. So we live a life oscillating on a sinusoidal curve between elation and despair, and we spend too much time at the despair end of the spectrum. It's a lousy way to live. It is. I so agree. Well, there is an alternative. The alternative is set a goal for yourself, but the only advantage of setting a goal is it gives you direction. 
Once the direction has been established, forget about the goal and pour all your emotional energy into what are the activities that I have to undertake in order to reach the goal. If yeah. I actually reach the goal, fantastic. If I don't reach the goal, fantastic. You have severed the if-then link. Because the mistake we all make, Steve, is we think that the benefit of setting a goal and trying our level best to achieve the goal is achieving the goal. Wrong. The benefit of setting a goal and trying our level best to achieve the goal is the learning and growth that happen in us and to us as we try our level best to achieve the goal. Yes. If that's we actually true. achieve the goal, that's a bonus. If we don't, the learning and growth have already happened. So it's a no-lose proposition. Yeah, which is that part of not being attached to the outcome that you're that you're so eloquently telling us about. Exactly. And you know, I for me, I realized in addition to that, when I was such a big goal setter, because being in the real estate industry and I managed thousands of real estate people and we had to hit quotas every week and we had to hit numbers and we had to have so many sales. So when you're in this illusion or disillusion, like you're in control of controlling the market or controlling sales or controlling your people, then something happens like a 2008 mortgage meltdown where the whole economic system of the world is starting to crumble and you realize you have no control over that at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so that for me, when I started realizing that, I also realized that this need for control that I had in the early days, it was also tied to fear. It was tied to fear that I didn't have control and it was also tied to fear that I wasn't opening myself up to the higher consciousness of tapping more into source and, and just letting go and flowing into the ocean of the universe where that, that nourishment exists for all of us. And I think these goals that we set, it's a way subconsciously that we realize we're putting power in something greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that greater themselves is like a cup of the ocean water of God energy that might be our goal. And ultimately, I think that these obstacles that we find for me, it found that it was a universe's way of giving me opportunities to disconnect from the material source yes. of world and connect more to higher source. So I think that that exactly flows in what you're talking about, if, if I'm not mistaken. I think that kind yeah, of is yeah. just you beautifully. You said, let the God energy come. That's exactly so good. Let just tap into the God energy and get out of the way and it will carry your boat to the ocean. Yeah, I love that. Just get out of the way. Well, I love that. Well, one of the things when you're when you're saying get out of the way and you have to have this vision about where you're you're going, you also talk talk about something called the flashlight of awareness. Yeah. So how if we're lost in the dark trying to even maneuver through the ocean, if it's a dark night and the waves are rough and they're whatever, how how do we get to this? What's this flashlight of awareness that you talk about? The flashlight of awareness, Steve, is simply a recognition that your awareness is like a flashlight. What does a flashlight do, Steve? It shines on, it illuminates whatever it shines on, right? Shine it on the ceiling, it lights up the ceiling. Shine it on the floor, it lights up the floor. What do most of us shine? And by the way, I'll prove it to you. I would like you to take your flashlight of awareness and shine it on the chair in which you are sitting. And the moment you do that, you become conscious of the pressure of your buttocks on the seat of the chair. You feel the fabric or the leather against the back of your thighs, correct? Yes. 30 seconds ago, you were not aware of any of that, but now you are. Why? Because you've shown the flashlight of your awareness on it. What do most people typically do? They shine the flashlight of their awareness on the two, three, or four things that are wrong in their life. More precisely, on the two, three, or four things that they've arbitrarily decided is wrong with our lives. And the 40, 50, 200 things which are pretty damn good about your life, you never shine the flashlight of your awareness on that, so you never notice it. Everyone listening to this, everyone in the MG100 is incredibly fortunate. They don't have to bother about whether they'll have dinner tomorrow. They don't have a roof over their head. They have a bed to sleep in. They can go from place A to place B with reasonable certainty. They will not get blown up. Incredibly privileged. But they don't feel incredibly privileged. They feel put upon and stressed out. They mm -hmm. feel they need to attend workshops on how to eradicate stress. That's because of where they shine the flashlight of awareness. 
And you can be conscious and deliberate about shining the flashlight of your awareness, shining on the many things that are going well in your life, not on the two, three, four things that are not going well in your life. When you get up in the morning, don't go immediately to the place, oh my God, there's too much to do and I don't have enough time to do it all. Shine the flashlight of your awareness on the many ways in which you're truly blessed and continue doing that throughout the day. My hope is that eventually you will come to the default emotional domain of appreciation and gratitude. And the reason you want to get there is because when you're in the default emotional domain of appreciation, gratitude, you're not angry, you're not anxious, you're not nervous, you're not fearful. The two cannot coexist. Yes. Well, those are powerful steps. And for those of us that um, have the flashlight of awareness and then our battery sometimes gets low and dim and we have to recharge our battery of this thing, uh, how how can somebody that is in this position of affluent uh, opportunity uh, and or let's say that they are maybe listening and they're not at such a level yet where maybe they've had some financial hardships, maybe they are challenged and they are they've had to file bankruptcy or maybe they are in a situation that they are not feeling that they were in a place of status where they thought they either they were or where they're currently at and they haven't been there yet how can how can somebody who is in a, a temporary state of survival mode also stay in this consciousness of a flash night of awareness of this universal friendliness if they lose their way what are some steps that you could do to help people snap out of it, if you would, or get on with it, if you would. So maybe we're, let's talk about the, the stuckness of it when we're stuck on, on not doing what you're talking about. The first step to getting unstuck, Steve, is to simply, consciously, deliberately think of the principles that we're talking about here. Most of us are in the rut that we're in because we never think about it. We see everybody else behaving in a particular manner and we behave in the same manner and it never occurs to us that we don't have to think like they do so if they're listening to this then automatically they've taken the first step because say, ah that's true i don't have to and then the more they think about it every time you're frustrated say am i frustrated because i expect the universe to be a particular way and you recognize yes and then you ask yourself questions like why is it necessary for the universe to be the way I want it to be? Is it possible that the universe is perfectly fine and it can be the way it is and I'm going to be happy no matter what? Is it possible? And if you ask yourself the question, is it possible, you move into a different emotional realm. One of the most powerful exercises I have in uh, my program is something called good thing, bad thing, who knows? And this comes from an ancient Sufi tale. It uh, talks about a man and his son, and they lived in a beautiful valley, and they were very uh, happy. They were also dirt poor. And the man feels that uh, he wants to become a rich man. He's going to become a rich man by breeding horses, buy a stallion doesn't have money to buy a stallion, so he borrows heavily from the neighbors. And the very day he gets the stallion, it kicks the top bar loose from the paddock where he housed it and runs away. And the neighbors came around and say, you're going to become a rich man, but your stallion has run away and you still owe us money. You are screwed. And the man shrugged his shoulders, says, good thing, bad thing, who knows. That stallion fell into the group of wild horses, which were close to where the man lived. He was able to entice them into his paddock, which he repaired, so escape was no longer possible. And now he had a stallion back, plus a dozen wild horses, which by the standards of that village made him a wealthy man. And the neighbors came around and said, we thought you were destitute, but fortune has smiled on you. How lucky you are. Shrugged his shoulder and said, good thing, bad thing, who knows? The man and his son started to break the horses so they could sell them on the market. One of the horses threw the man's son and stomped on his leg and it broke and it healed crooked. And the neighbors came around and said, he was such a fine young lad and now he'll never be able to find a girl to marry him. How sad. And the man said, good thing, bad thing, who knows. That summer, the king of the country declared war on the neighboring country and press gangs moved through the villages, rounding up all the able-bodied young men to serve in the army. But this man's son was spared because he had a crooked leg. 
and the neighbors had tears in their eyes as they rolled around. We don't know if you'll ever see our son's alive again, but you still have your son. How lucky you are. And he said, good thing, bad thing, who knows? It goes on like that forever. There's an important lesson in this, Steve. Can you recollect anything that happened in your life that at the time it happened, you thought this is terrible, but now you can look back and say, that wasn't so terrible after all, or even that was a good thing? Yes, yes, absolutely. Most people can recall dozens of such instances. Remember, suffering doesn't happen when an event occurs. Suffering happens the instant you label that event, this is bad, this is terrible, I cannot bear it. So right. true. Right? So true. So if something uh, happened in the past, in your past, and you thought it was bad, but you look back upon it with hindsight and say, ah, it is good. What you're today about to label bad, could it possibly in X years turn out to have been wonderful? Asking yourself that question moves you to a different emotional domain. And if you then ask yourself the next question, what can I actually do to make it wonderful? And you move seamlessly from the realm of despair to the realm of possibility. That's how you become incredibly resilient. And that's how you also banish a lot of stuff, stress in your life. Because, you know, something happens to you, hey, this happened. It's not bad. Or it may not be bad. It's just something that happened. And I'm not going to help my well-being be dependent upon that. And that's a conscious determination you make. And when you make that, you'll find that you're not so despondent. And when you're not so despondent, that's when you start climbing up the hole which you have dug for yourself. So true. And that ties right into one of the other things that you uh, have spoken about in the 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 word, which is aikigaya. Uh, ikigaya, which is a Japanese word, which I think also sums up partially in some ways of what you're talking about as well in a harm harm because the uh good bad who knows um is so powerful I, it, it reminds me also of this symbol behind me it's like uh in the, the, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like the, the higher the lower the, the cold the hot the you know the, the the making friends with everything in the universe and when i came to the acceptance of much of what you're talking about and realizing that the most tragic things, the most horrendous things, the most ugly things that we, that I have labeled that in the past, whether it's in my own life of things that have happened with or to me, or that's happening in the world, I, I or other people have asked, how could God let that happen, or how could that be? When I learned to make friends with that, God, my definition of God is is God is energy, and God is the sum of all that is. So if God is the sum of all that is, then God's energy is also part of what I determined as bad, what I determined as ugly, what I termed as a tragic, or what I determined as tragic in the world. And when I realize that's all part of the plan that I don't get to see the whole big picture of yet, then I make friends with all of that. And what you're talking about allows me to be much more of acceptance of good thing, bad thing, who knows? It's all the thing. It's all the thing. You know, so all of that is a component. So uh, I love that you're bringing that to our attention and 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 share with us in the Japanese culture, which is you know way far away from where I am, where this originated. What is it that they term this at, and how do they describe this consciousness in uh, Aikigaya? Ikigai basically Ikigaya. is what is the root cause of you? Who who are you deep down underneath everything that uh, is culturally foisted on you? What is your purpose? And actually, I'm going to come at that from a Hindu perspective, which is also a Western mystical perspective. It's there in Islam. It's there in Buddhism. The notion that you are not who you are. You're not Steve Rogers, and I'm not Sri Kumar Rao, and we're not having a conversation on deep matters. This is all an illusion which is playing itself out. And what there is, is only one. There is pure consciousness manifesting, appearing as Steve Rogers, manifesting, appearing as Sri Kumar Rao. But these are all surface. These are the dramas that are playing out on the screen. Here's a good analogy. You watch The Towering Inferno. Have you watched The Towering Inferno, by the way? It's a great movie. Huh? Yeah, Charlton Heston, right? Uh, it had, uh, yes, uh, it had uh, William Holden. I'm not sure whether Charlton Heston, yes, 
I yeah, think yeah, I think it was. He was, yeah. in, he was in one of those disaster movies, Charlton Heston. I remember that from like the seventies or eighties, way back when. <laughs> but whatever it is, in the towering yeah. inferno, there one of the upper floors of a skyscraper uh, is on fire, and it's so hot the steel melts. And that movie plays out, and the next movie is Waterworld. And in Waterworld, all the polar ice caps are melted. There's hardly any land, any place, and that movie ends. And when both the movies have ended, you look at the screen, and the screen is not hot or burnt, and the screen is not wet. The screen has been there, unmoving, unchanged. But neither movie would have been there without the screen. You are the screen. You are pure awareness. The Towering Inferno and Waterworld are merely the drama, the soap operas that are playing out on this unchanging eternal screen. So the purpose, the ikigai of existence is to recognize and identify with the screen. You are pure awareness. That's who you are. It's a misidentification that you're Steve Rogers that I'm Sri Kumar Rao. That is so powerful. Very easy to intellectually understand, but takes a lifetime or many lifetimes to implement in your life so that you're rooted in that. Well, that, that topic, I was hoping to have some time to cover with you on the show about how people view lives as a single life or multiple lives. And I know you and I have common beliefs uh, in the the power and the the knowledge and the awareness of possibilities of reincarnation and that that exists. Unfortunately, we're coming to the, the end of the show and there's just not enough time to dig into that way deep topic. I'm going to ask to have to ask you to come back since you're such an intriguing guest and we talk the same language on many things because I've not been able to talk to a guest yet about reincarnation and where it does originate from and what does it mean. So I'm going to put a little teaser and a and a. Hang, a hanging request out to you. Maybe we come back and talk about that yes. in the future. My pleasure entirely, Steve. Well, thank you for being our guest. Any closing thoughts for the uh, the, the listeners you've had and, and viewers? You've had so many things. I feel like every nugget was a closing, uh, drop the mic kind of powerful statement. So no, um, just it, let them know that I have a new book coming out. It's going to be published next week. So if they go to Amazon and order it, that would be wonderful. If they then write a glowing review, that would be even more wonderful. And that's called Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots, correct? That's correct. The Movers and Shakers Guide to Unstoppable Success. And here we have your books for those that are viewing us on video. If you're not, you can definitely go to uh, Amazon and find his new book, Modern Wisdom and Ancient Roots. We'll have that in the show notes. We'll also have his website in the show notes. We'll have some of these great quotes and uh, reminder uh, philosophies in our notes where you can track further with Dr. Rao and his work. And I want to thank you so much for being so enlightening for myself and for our guest. Uh, this is the essence of what the alchemy of business is, of helping bring spiritual intelligence into life and business. And you're a, a, a walking uh, human spiritual uh, ecosystem all in one uh, uh, nugget with that. So on this planet. So thank you so much for your wisdom today. You're too kind, Steve. But thank you. And you have a wonderful rest of your life. Thank you. Well, thanks for those that are viewing in or listening in. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and uh, leave us a review as well. It always helps get more word out for those that might want to hear this message. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed and see you soon.